Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Friday, June the 2nd. And welcome to our commentary. Just a little heads up, on Friday evening, we're going to be recording our podcast with our good friend Barry Castleman. Barry is also known as the Prairie Editor, and he does a lot of political coverage. And tonight we're going to be talking about 2024, taking an early look at 2024 and looking at both parties, not just uh, Trump versus DeSantis, but we're also going to look a little bit about about what's happening or to what's happening on the Democrats. So check it out. It'll be available Friday night in the podcast, meaning uh, over at Blog Talk Radio, you can hear the podcast. And I will also be posting uh, the interview on my blog uh, later later on Friday. It'll be available on the weekend, so you can check it out all Saturday and Sunday. And you can also check out the conversation we had with Frank Burke on Thursday, another podcast that we did with Frank, where we talk about all these companies going woke. And what does that mean? And how crazy is that? Well, it's pretty crazy. Uh, look at what's happening to a few companies, but not just the companies. Uh, Major League Baseball, for example, yesterday had uh, you know the Pride logo, uh, that the regular MLB Major League Baseball logo with the Pride colors, and they took it down immediately. And that's because I understand from some of the reporting that there is a, a real problem with Major League Baseball players. They don't like the fact that they're being used. Uh, in this campaign that they don't even support to begin with. So I think they've overplayed their hand, and that's uh, uh, what Frank was saying in that conversation that we had with him. So anyway, check out our conversation with Barry Castleman. That's going to be on Friday night, and uh, you can always check out our conversation also with Frank Burke. Both of those podcasts are going to be fully available uh, to listen to on my blog, on Blog Talk Radio, or you can catch them on Twitter. If you follow me, if you follow me there. Well, I've got a post over at the American Thinker this morning talking about President Biden and uh, the FBI. You know, you've heard rumors uh, that the FBI apparently has a memo uh, that shows the possibility of bribery uh, with the Biden family and Vice President Biden or Joe Biden when he was vice president. Look, I have not seen this memo. And it has not obviously been published. Right now, there's only apparently two people who know about the memo. They are the director of the FBI and obviously the congressional committees. I think for the benefit of the FBI, if you want, if you want to save uh, the reputation of the FBI, they've had some real problems here lately. I think that memo has to be released. And the American people have to know one way or another, confirm it or deny if such a bribery uh, situation exists. If it does, then something has to be done about it. If it doesn't, then put it out there so people can see for themselves. But the FBI, you know, the idea that the FBI is hiding mem a memo is, is not working anymore. That is simply not working. Uh, and it's hurting the FBI at a time when the FBI has done itself a tremendous disservice. Uh, not the FBI. Let me underline, it's not the agents. 99% of the agents are great people. I'm talking about some some people in the leadership of the FBI uh, 
who were so eager to get Trump that they ended up, you know, destroying the credibility of the institution, certainly their credibility as members of that institution. So that memo has to be released. The American people have to know what's on that memo. And uh, the sooner, the sooner, the better, so we can move on in one direction or another. If there's nothing there, great. There's nothing there. If there is something there, then let's move on to the next, uh, the next level. One of the stories that you've been following and we've been watching in the news here lately is what's happening in some American cities. San Francisco has been in the news quite a bit. Chicago, another, another city in the news. And the, what's happening is that companies are moving out, particularly retail stores are closing. And the reason they're closing is very simple because of retail theft, shoplifting. You've got people walking into these stores, they're stealing, they're walking out, nothing happens to them, and that's the problem. Nothing happens to them. There are no consequences to doing any of this. So the net result is, you know, you get arrested on Monday, Wednesday, you're back in the streets probably doing uh, the same thing. And this is not only costing billions of dollars to these companies, uh, but it's embarrassing for these cities. I mean, San Francisco, if you've seen any of the recent uh, videos, uh, Chicago, I mean, the crime, the shooting, you know, the black on black crime, really, in Chicago, it's pretty, uh, pretty terrible. And these cities are apparently not doing anything about it. They're just sitting there just, you know, blaming it on this or this or that. The mayor of Chicago was blaming uh, all of this crime on the lack of investment. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. But this is becoming a very serious problem in, uh, in, in these American cities. And unless you have leadership, specifically the governor, the governor is the one who's going to have to step in and act, uh, whether it's San Francisco, whether it's New York City, whether it's uh, Baltimore, uh, whether it's uh, Cleveland, whether it's Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a mess. And of course, uh, Chicago, the governors are the ones who are going to have to step in and if necessary, put the National Guard on the streets to make sure that this crime wave uh, stops. They're also going to have to start prosecuting some of these people who are shoplifting and simply say, no, it's a crime to shoplift and we're going to put you in jail or, or there will be consequences uh, for you to do this. That's not happening right now, which is why companies are closing. Uh, they're moving out. And of course, who gets hurt when that happens? The people who live in these communities who don't have jobs or don't have places to uh, to shop uh, anymore. So it's up to the governors. They're the only ones who can do anything about it. Unfortunately, they're not uh, they're not doing anything about it, which is a real crime. Uh, unfortunately, I mean the, the level of irresponsibility. If you're the governor of Illinois, I, I wish I had an opportunity to ask him because you're the governor of Illinois. How in the world can you continue to allow what is happening in Chicago? I mean, it's beyond explanation. There were 53 people who were shot in Chicago over uh, Memorial Day, 53. Now, I don't know how many were killed, about a dozen were killed, I believe. Two kids were killed. Where's the governor? H how does he tolerate this? Well, I don't know why, but he shouldn't. And then if the governor is not going to do anything about it, the president of the United States has to step in and say, I'm going to protect the people in my city, if the local government doesn't want to do something about it, if the governor doesn't want to do something about it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to protect uh, the people in these cities. Otherwise, I don't know how these cities are ever coming back. 
I mean, once these companies close, are they really going to come back? I don't think so. I, I mean, we saw this in Baltimore back in 2015 when they had those riots. A lot of businesses moved out, have never come back, have never come back. And I'm not talking about large corporations. I'm talking about these small businesses, you know, the guy who, who uh, you know, the laundry, people like that, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the small stores, these people leave. They're not coming back. They're going somewhere else. They're not coming back. So if they don't come back, the tax revenues don't come back either. And that's another another problem for uh, for these cities. So governors, the governors are going to have to do something about it. They have to. They have to uh, do something about it. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the 2024 election uh, this evening in the podcast with our friend uh, Barry Castleman. The podcast should be available uh, later this evening. We're going to be recording at 9 o'clock Friday night, so it'll be available probably about 10 o'clock. And then, of course, all weekend, Saturday and Sunday, uh, you can catch it by simply playing uh, the podcast. But it's going to be interesting because a lot of things are happening in the 2024 campaign. As you know, uh, Robert Kennedy just announced that he's running. He's officially in, I guess. Uh, DeSantis is in. We understand that former Vice President Pence is coming in. We understand that former Governor Christie is coming in. So a lot of people are coming in. And what does that mean? I don't know, because uh, Trump is so far ahead right now. I don't know how a lot of these other people are going to find, frankly, the the people who are going to give them money to sustain their campaigns when they're that far behind. But we will see. But I think the most interesting thing that I want to talk to Barry about tonight and check this out in the podcast is, is Joe Biden going to be the, 20, the 2024 nominee? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I will tell you quite frankly, I don't think he is going to be. I, I think he is one way, one way or another, they're going to push him out. And uh, it, it's just sad to see this man. There's no way that he can be president for another four years if he was elected, assuming he was uh, reelected. So check out our conversation with Barry Castleman, the Prairie editor. It's always very interesting when we talk to when we talk to Barry. Well, on this day in history, 1886, that's a long time ago. That would make it, what, 137, 135 years ago, 136, I guess, years ago. there was a wedding in the White House, and that's because President Cleveland, who was a bachelor, married a, a young a friend, I guess, from Cleveland. Her name was Frances Folsom, and that was the first time that an American president had been married in the White House itself, in a White House ceremony. Now, Frances was a real hit uh, with the American people. She was the younger first lady. They had, I think, three or four kids uh, in, in the White House because, remember, Cleveland was elected in 84, he was defeated in 88, and then he came back in 1892. So he served two non-consecutive terms uh, as president during at least two, certainly in the second term. Uh, They had babies in the White House, and it was, uh, the country was crazy about the Cleveland babies. And uh, Frances herself became, as I say, a very popular first lady. So the first marriage in the White House happened on this day in 1886. Now, other marriages have occurred in the White House, other weddings. Uh, For for example, uh, President Johnson, Lyndon Johnson's, uh, one of his daughters was married in the White House. I think it was 1966 or something like that. 
And then President Lincoln, I mean, excuse me, President Nixon, one of his daughters was also Trisha, was married in the White House, I think it was in 1971. So those two weddings took place in the White House. But of course, those were the daughters of the president. In this case, it was the president himself, Cleveland, who was getting married uh, to Francis Folsom in 1886. So a little bit of history for you there. Maybe you remember that from your history class. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, June the 1st. And welcome to our commentary. Welcome to the month of June. We're not quite in the second half of 2023, but we're getting there as we enter the month of June. June is also, of course, the month in about 20 days when we officially go into summer. Although around here, that doesn't wait until the 20th of June. You can start feeling summer around here, around Memorial Day or this last uh, weekend. Well, we got a couple of things we're going to be talking about today. I want to direct you, though, to a podcast uh, that I recorded earlier today. It's available on my blog as well as uh, over on my Twitter page. And you can hear the podcast, and it's with Frank Burke, who's a businessman. And by the way, one of the things that I learned today during the podcast is that Frank has had some experience in the beer industry, so he was able to share with us some very interesting information about what happens in that beer business. Of course, uh, one of the beer companies is the one under fire right now for having gone woke on its customers. Target is also under fire for the same things. And we talked a little bit about what drives a company to do something like this. What exactly does a company, you know, what drives a company to do something of this nature, to go woke and to, in essence, you know, walk away from its customer base. Certainly in the case of the beer company, that's the case. And in the case of Target, a company that basically caters to the family, meaning mother, father who go there to buy clothing in many cases or things for for their children, or in the case of the L.A. Dodgers, you know, making that awful decision of inviting this group uh, to uh, one of their nights at the stadium. So, we talked a little bit about what drives these companies. What is it about these companies and others who are uh, who are making these kinds of decisions? And uh, we went into a little bit of detail about that. Again, that's all available uh, in the podcast that you can pick up uh, on my blog anytime, uh, anytime today. But the truth is, for some of these companies, these ventures into woke have been pretty costly. Have been pretty costly. And uh, again, you have to wonder. You have to wonder who's driving this. What com- who, who is telling these companies to do this? It's not their customers because their customers are reacting to it in a very negative way. And that's uh, you're seeing some of the financial losses of some of these companies really adding up. Um, and again, you can just check that out in the business pages. But certainly, if you're a business out there and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, let's go woke. Uh, you may want to may want to reconsider that. Now, it's one thing, and this is something that uh, we got into uh, a little bit of this with Frank in our podcast. You can do target marketing, for example, if you want to target uh, the beer industry, for example. They target certain markets. They'll target, for example, gay men uh, who may go to the bars or whatever. 
But you can do that. You can do that, and beer companies and other services do the same thing. But in this case, it went beyond that, especially with with children, or in the case of uh, of Bud Light, you know, using a transgender uh, as the the person doing the promotion. That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So check out the interview. I think you're going to like it a great deal. It's again, it's a podcast, so it's available on my blog as well as on Twitter if you follow me there. I've got a post over at the American Thinker today about Jane Fonda. Now, some of you remember Jane Fonda. You know, she's been around for a long time. Uh, the other day, I, I caught a movie, or a little bit of a movie, that she made uh, with Robert Redford, my goodness, it's over 50 years ago. It was called Barefoot in the Park, where she and Robert Redford are a young couple, recently married couple, who have an apartment there, I guess, in in New York, in Park Central or whatever. And that, that's actually a cute movie. And she does a good job in that movie. She's a good actress. No one can deny that. That Jane Fonda is a good actress. She comes from a, a Hollywood family. Her father, her brother were actors as well. But as some of you know, she became a little bit too interested in politics and sort of went out of her way to uh, play, play the political game. And here recently, she she said something. I don't remember where she said it, but she said something sort of blaming white men for climate change and basically saying that it's all about racism and it's all about, you know, the white male structure in our society and so on. And she's gotten herself into a little bit of trouble, to say the least, for making an idiotic statement like that. But also the other thing is I wrote in my in my post, you know, her father, Henry Fonda, is a white man. Is she also, does she want him arrested, her former husband? Ted Turner, he was the one who owned uh, uh, the television network TBS. I'm not sure if he still owns it, but he was the original founder of that. He also owned the Atlanta Braves. I don't know if he still does, but he did it one time. So, you know, I guess does she want uh, those men arrested as well, her father and her former husband? Because in her comments, she said that all the men, the white men should be arrested. And I, I guess she was talking about the white men who give us climate change. She did not talk, for example, in her in her comments, or nobody asked her the question, about some of the people in China who are causing a lot of climate change with their uh, you know excessive pollution and disregard for the environment. She didn't make, bring that up. Hopefully some reporter will ask her that question. But I think once again, we see Jane Fonda talking about something she doesn't know anything about and sadly making a fool out of herself when she makes uh, uh, comments like that. I've got a uh, also a post uh, coming out Friday morning about the FBI. You may know that uh, there is a member of Congress, a Republican member of Congress, who claims that there is a memo in the hands of the FBI that would prove the, an allegations of bribery against uh, President Biden. Look, I think that's a pretty serious accusation. It's all coming from a whistleblower. And the director of the FBI does not want to release that memo. I think he has a duty to release that memo. I really do. I think he has to make that clear and make, you know, make that public. Now, if they want to protect some sources, I understand that. It can be done in a delicate and proper way. But, you know, this situation with the Biden family has now reached the point well, I think the American people need to know what's going on. All these Biden family people getting very wealthy 
And I think we need to know whether they won the lottery or whether there was some association uh, with their last name that made all of these people so wealthy. I think it's time for that point to be answered or that question to be answered. Maybe it's just a coincidence. As I said, maybe they won the lottery and that's why all these Biden people are so wealthy. But if it's something else, I think we need to know. So I think the director of the FBI has to share that memo, at least with the committee, and hopefully the American people, so that we know for once once and for all whether there was corruption there in that family and their uh, association with their father, who's now, who's now the president of the United States. I think he owes the country. Because, you know, we've been talking a great deal about Joe Biden. I've stayed away from it, or at least his son, Hunter, I've stayed away from it a little bit because I want to see more specific information. I don't want to go down the same road that uh, Democrats went down with the Russia thing where they were just believing stuff that they were reading in the media. And I want to see something tangible. But I also see a little bit of smoke out there. And when you see all these members of the Biden family making all this money, well, as I said before, did they win the lottery or did they do something else? I think we should know what the heck uh, is going on and why this family has all of a sudden become a pretty, pretty wealthy group of people. I think we need to know that. I think the country uh, has to have an explanation to that. Well, we leave you today with an anniversary. On this day in 1967, that would make it 56 years ago today, the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was actually released in England uh, the day before, May 31st or May 30th, and it was released in the United States on June 1st. Of course, it became a, a, a one of their top and most favorite albums. And, you know, the, the Sgt. Pepper's album, the whole concept album, it, it just sort of changed everything, I guess, in rock music. Because before Sgt. Pepper's, what you had was that groups would have one or two singles and then they would issue an album. In the case of Sgt. Pepper's, it didn't work that way. In the case of Sgt. Pepper's, uh, the entire album uh, was released at the same time without singles from the album uh, making the charts. Now that didn't mean that that didn't mean that they didn't get a lot of airplay. They did, but it was just a different way of of presenting uh, presenting the album. And Sgt. Pepper's is today number one on the list of the top 500 or top 100 albums according to Rolling Stone magazine. Now my own review of Sgt. Pepper's. I don't think it's their best album. I really don't. I think that Revolver and Rubber Soul, that time period between uh, Rubber Soul and Revolver, and there's also an American album that was only released in the United States called Yesterday and Today. But that time period between the winter of 65 and the summer of 66, that time period, in my opinion, was the Beatles' most prolific uh, songwriting and recording time. So I put... Rover Soul and Revolver on top of Sgt. Pepper's in my own list of the top uh, English or the top uh, Beatles albums. I would also put some of the other albums like Abbey Road even ahead of, of Sgt. Pepper's. But Sgt. Pepper's is the one that everybody fell for. And I think it was because it was so different. You know, the cover and again, the whole idea of a concept album. I think that was something brand new and it caught on quite a bit with the fans. So we remember today Sgt. Pepper's. Lonely Hearts Club Band, released this week in 1967, or 56 years ago today. Man, that's, that's incredible. 56 years that we've been listening to the Beatles, or at least Sgt. Pepper's. 
that's pretty incredible. You got to give them a little credit for at least having the sustaining, the power to sustain themselves for that length of time. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Tuesday, May the 30th. And welcome to our commentary. I hope that everybody had a uh, a good Memorial Day. And as I said the last time I did one of these, that you got to remember what we celebrate on Memorial Day. It is the one day of the year, I think, that we celebrate uh, the sacrifice of people who gave their lives so that we can be around here and enjoy the country. So Memorial Day, always a very important day on, on our calendar and uh, I sometimes wonder if we're not downplaying it uh, a little bit because so many things go are happening on Memorial Day that have nothing to do with Memorial Day. I've always been, I mean, it's okay to sit around and have a few drinks and that kind of thing. That's fine. And eat and all of that. But you got to remember what we celebrate. I think that's the key to Memorial Day. So I hope that everybody everybody had a chance to remember the meaning of Memorial Day. The big story in Texas and uh, it has to do with the Attorney General. The Attorney General Paxton was impeached by the Texas House on Saturday. And now it goes on to a trial before the Texas Senate. And that's going to happen in August. So we've got about three months before this thing comes back together. Now, look, I think a lot of people around here are like me. We didn't expect this. I had no idea that this was going to happen a week, 10 days ago. I mean, I had heard some of these allegations before, but I had no idea that it would actually become impeachment. But it has, it has, and it passed uh, in huge numbers. So this is now going to go to the Senate, and that will be a trial, much like it is in the federal uh, Constitution, and it'll be a trial. And the Attorney General, who at the moment, I believe, is under suspension, uh, he will have an opportunity to present his case and explain what happened. And we'll have a chance to hear from both sides as we would in a jury trial. So nothing's going to happen for the next 30 days. The Texas legislature will continue uh, with some of the bills that they're working on. There's going to be, by the way, an, uh, an additional. The governor is calling the legislature back to finish uh, a few things. So we're going to be looking at all of this the next time we chat with our friend George Rodriguez. Uh, the next time we, we speak with our friend uh, George Rodriguez, I just got a, a note here from my friend Eric, and he's asking me what the attorney general was accused of. Well, a long list of things, bribery, mismanagement, a, a long list of things uh, that I frankly don't know all of them. But uh, it's a long list of things. And as I said, he was impeached in huge numbers by a House of Representatives in Texas, which is big majority Republican. So this is not really that much of a partisan issue. It, uh, it was, uh, you know, Republicans leading the way. So we're just going to have to wait until the trial. And when my friend George uh, joins us the next time, we'll have a chance to get into it more in detail. Because I, as I mentioned, this happened so quickly, I have not even read all the charges uh, against them. That is how quickly uh, this has happened. So we'll talk more about it uh, uh, later on. Well, there was a big election in Spain over the weekend, and it was a good day for the right, meaning the right wing 
parties would uh, actually took over some of the provincial governments. Uh, this was not a general federal election. These were state elections, sort of like governors and, you know, city councils and that kind of thing here in the United States, mayors. And uh, the right, uh, the right center right parties did fairly well in the election. The left center parties did not. And I think there's a, a couple of issues. I've got a post over at the American Thinker today talking about what I believe happened. I had a chance to talk to a friend of mine in Spain who gave me some ideas as to why, and he supported the right, by the way. He voted for the right center uh, candidate, but he was giving me some ideas of what's happening in the country. The first one is the economy. I mean, the Spanish economy is not doing well. So a lot of people decided to take it out on the incumbent, as often happens here, there, and everywhere. So it's that old expression about it's the economy stupid. Well, yes, it is the economy stupid. When the economy is bad, the incumbent uh, will uh, will get hit by that. The second reason, and this is why one that I think we should be paying to paying attention to in the United States, because we saw some of this in Italy. And I think you're going to see it in Canada when they have elections uh, sometime soon, next year, I believe. And that is that a lot of the issues that the left has become obsessed with, you know, all these gender issues, all of these issues of climate change and, you know, all of these, you know, inter international issues don't make a lot of sense to people who can't, uh, you know, meet their budget or who cannot pay the, the food because of inflation. And I think the left has really gotten out of control in Spain, as it has in other countries, as it has here in the United States. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. So he said that was another issue. My friend said that was another issue. Uh, for example, he mentioned that a lot of people in Spain are a bit concerned about the euro and how the euro has, the, that's the currency, has put uh, Spain at a disadvantage. Because before the euro, uh, Spain, like most countries, had its own currency. And a country like Spain depends a great deal on two things, exports to the United States or to the West. And the other one is tourism. You know, Americans who travel to Spain to see all the historical places. Well, if you're, if you're using the euro, sometimes you, you're more expensive than if you're using your own currency because you can always manipulate your own currency to make your exports a little bit more attractive or to make your tourism a little bit more attractive. So some people were concerned about that. They kind of want to see Spain get back to its own currency. And that, of course, was known as La Peseta, for those of you who remember that. And then just overall, there was a sense that uh, the left was not performing, that the left was simply not doing its job running the country. And I think that's, you know, happening in other places as well, where socialism is simply not succeeding. And in fact, it's failing, and it's failing quite uh, quite miserably. So good news from Spain. Now let's temper the optimism just a little bit because they still have to have general elections for the prime minister and all of that, and that won't be happening for a while. And remember that in a parliamentary system like the one they have in Spain, what you're going to have right now, all kinds of coalitions, and that's how they get their majority. So, but it was a good day. It was a good day, but I simply caution people to remember that they have a parliamentary system that doesn't quite work the way that our system works here in the United States. But I think overall, if you check out my post over at the American Thinker, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what happened. And I think a lot of people in Spain are pretty happy with the results uh, as well. 
let's get back to this thing, this thing they call woke. And I'm sure you've heard about the Dodgers and you heard about that beer company, Bud Light, I guess. And you heard about Target and I guess there's other stores. I have no idea who's telling these people to do these things. I, I have nothing against, uh, if you want to do, you know, some recognition of pride night or something like that at the ballpark. I mean, it's not my thing, but if you want to do it, that's okay with me. But as we're seeing in some of these stores and with Bud Light and now with the Dodgers and so on, they go overboard. They go overboard. Like the Dodgers invited these people called the Sisters of Indulgence or whatever it is. And these are basically men who dress as women whose job is to go out and make fun of the Catholic Church. Well, that's not a good thing. You know, one of the things that I learned from an early age from my parents was that, you know, you respected other people's religions. You didn't go out mocking anybody's religion. You may disagree with it, but keep your disagreements private. But you never went out and made fun of somebody's religion, as these people are doing out of the Catholic Church. And for the Dodgers not to understand that, I mean, just think of the city name, Los Angeles, right? Not exactly a secular name. And just think of that and think of the Hispanic population there, and many of them are Catholic. Uh, you just have to wonder, you know, who is, who's doing, who's making these decisions in some of these organizations? And I, I think a lot of it is they're, they're, they, they make these decisions because they, they want to, in a sense, protect themselves from criticism. They say, okay, we'll do this so that we don't have a thousand people marching in front of our office saying they were homophobic. Okay, so that's, what, that's how, why they make the decision. But then they don't understand that the overwhelming majority of their customers don't agree with this stuff. And they certainly don't agree with in your face, which is what they're doing at uh, Dodger Stadium. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm glad to see that people are fed up with it. Uh, that's just my feeling. I'm glad to see people are fed up with this. Uh, this has no place in whether it's baseball, whether it's retail, whether it's selling beer. I mean, the business of these companies is to sell beer, to sell products, or to put a baseball team on the field. Everything else is not related to the business, and they shouldn't be involved in, in these activities, but they are, and they are, as I said before, because they're afraid that a 1,000 people are going to show up at their offices and put up signs saying you're homophobic or whatever, and so they basically, they, they crater to these groups who don't represent that many people. That's the other part of all of this. They don't represent that many people. There are certainly more customers angry with the Dodgers today than there are people happy with their decision. The same with the beer company, and I guarantee you the same with the retail company that is also uh, in trouble. So this woke in your face. I'm glad to see people are fed up with it and they're doing something about it. And the one thing they can do is not spend their money. That's the biggest power you have. You don't have to spend your money there. And believe me, that catches their attention very quickly. When you see some of the losses that the beer company is having, when you see some of the losses that the retail company is having, believe me, people, people you know, they, they see that. They see that and they go, oops, I think we made a mistake. Yes, you did. You made a big mistake by insulting the overwhelming majority of your customers who don't want to see that when they walk into a retail store or uh whatever. Just a quick uh, reminder that later today we'll be talking with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. This is one of the issues we're going to get in, we're going to discuss with him, and that is all this woke and all these boycotts, people are just fed up with 
what's going on uh, with many of these companies. So tune in later. I'll have that uh, podcast available later, later on my blog as well as Twitter if you follow me over there. But we leave you today with a little bit of On This Day in History. It was on this day in 1922 that the Lincoln Memorial, one of the great landmarks in Washington, D.C., was inaugurated. And it was a major event because you have to realize that this came, let's see, 35, he was killed in 65, 1865, and this was 1922. So you're talking 57 years after the assassination of, of President Lincoln. That's a long time. That's half a century. So they were very few survivors of the Civil War who were there. There were many veterans who attended. They were obviously men now in their 80s or 90s. And, you know, back then people didn't live that long. So there weren't that many veterans who were able to to make it. But one person did make it. And this is pretty amazing. And that's Robert Lincoln, who was President Lincoln's only uh, only surviving son. They had I think they had four and three of them were, were lost at a young age. But Robert Lincoln. Uh, the only surviving son of the Lincoln family, he did make it. And by this time, by this time, I think he was almost 90 years old, but he managed to make it. And that, of course, was uh, uh, pretty amazing to see the son of the former president there uh, in the memorial to his father. That must have been a very moving thing for him and for everybody, for everybody there. Again, check out our podcast with Bill Katz, the editor a virgin agenda. We're going to get into a lot of these national issues with him. And uh, thank you very much for watching. Talk to you the next time. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.